0: So we have a number of passages in the bulletin, and we're going to get to them. But first, I want to read to you this verse from 1 Peter chapter 5. This is what it says. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I want you to imagine a hungry lion roaming around outside. Imagine there are, there are multiple, and imagine that, that the, this, these lions, that their senses are heightened because they're hungry. These are predators looking for prey. They're, they're pacing outside. They're waiting for the doors to be open like they are now, and when they see the, an open door, they'll run in, and they'll attack you. They're going to bite into you, and they'll bite into the neck of the person next to you. These are patient lions waiting waiting for an opportunity to attack. And these lions are willing to wait outside longer than we are willing to wait, than we, longer than we're willing to stay in here. Now, if this were true, if we had lions outside waiting to attack us, I think we'd all be in defensive mode. We wouldn't let our guard down, we'd, fight, we'd think of ways to fight back. Now, I want you to know that this is not an entirely hypothetical situation. In this moment, this is a reality. We have an enemy looking to harm us. This is the spiritual reality that First Peter talks about, that Satan knows about Indelible Grace Church, that he hates what happens when we preach the gospel here, and he knows about you and me. He knows your name, and he wants to pounce on you. This is our adversary, the devil, pr- roaring prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking you to devour. He wants to attack us. He wants us to die. Do you remember, if you were here last week, you might remember that as we were talking about the parable of the sower, we said that one of the soils is that of which Satan just runs in and he grabs the word before it's, it even enters into our ears and into our hearts. Satan's constantly working. He's constantly trying to steal from us. So that means that right now, in this very moment, there is a supernatural force working against us. It means that the devil's actively looking to destroy us. He's going to tell us lies. What lies are you believing right now? He does it by taking our focus off the message of the cross. He does it by appealing to our self interests and our comforts. He tries to undo the work of the church through distraction and division and deception. And therefore, if this is true, and it is, we need to be on guard. We have to do something to protect ourselves, and we have to do something to protect each other. And this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the responsibility, the responsibility that all of us have to protect our church. I mentioned last week that we're going to go through the first two chapters of 1 Corinthians this summer. And this is about the nature and ministry of the church. And before we get into it, uh, I want us to properly prepare. This is why we preached the sermon that we did last week uh, and today as well. These are meant to be prequels to next week and for the rest of the summer. So this is a call to action. Last week was a call to action to listen to the Word, to let the Word take roots and bear fruits. And today is a call to action. It's a call for us to, to protect the church. So as we receive God's Word, we need to do all we can to make sure that it sinks in, not just in ourselves, but in the lives of everyone that we are worshiping with, everyone who considers Indelible Grace Church their home. So if you've ever been around gardening or just uh, plants, you may have seen gardens that have fences built around them. It's to protect the, the, the shrubbery and the plants inside the garden. And this is what the fencing does. It, it, it serves its purpose by protecting what is inside the garden so that what is inside the garden can grow and flourish and be beautiful. And I want us right now to imagine all of us being this fence around the garden for each other. The Word has taken root by the grace of God, and we're all responsible for making sure that this is an environment that the Word can grow in. So, you'll notice that there are several passages in our bulletin today. Uh, we're going to go through all of them, but I want us to anchor our morning on this passage in First Corinthians 3.16. And this is at the top of the page. Listen as we read. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This is the word of God. So this passage was written to the Corinthian church which was if you've ever studied the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you'll know that the Corinthian church was Really, really messed up. There were divisions. People were suing each other. There was flagrant immorality. People were getting drunk during communion. So this is the type of church the Corinthian church was. It was not a perfect church. If you had an option to go, you'd probably walk in for one Sunday, and you'd walk out and say, I'm going to go to the church down the street. This is the type of church that the Corinthian church was. And yet, this was God's church. Paul says in this passage, the Spirit of God is living and active there. He speaks to the Corinthians as you, and in the original Greek, this is plural, meaning that this is directed not just to individuals, but to the entire church as a whole. To all the people who make up the church, this is speaking to them. So, to put this passage in context, Paul's telling the church that she's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and the temple is. Not just a physical building, but the temple is the church. The organization, this organism made up of all the believers. We're told elsewhere in the New Testament that we're all stones that make up the church. So everyone who believes, who follows Jesus doesn't belong to a church. Everyone who believes in Jesus is the church. We are the church. And Paul says here in 1 Corinthians, he says there are things that people can do to to tear down the church. Individuals, these individual stones can be attacked. The temple can suffer through selfishness, through gossip, through neglect and laziness and false doctrine. Imagine someone taking a sledgehammer to a wall and hitting it and hitting it and hitting it. This is the imagery that Paul gives us here in 1 Corinthians. He says, you are destroying the church. You're taking a sledgehammer to the church if you do not protect it, if you do not watch out, if you yourself are not right. So that's what we should have in mind when Paul talks about destroying the church. Verse 17, he gives us this warning If you destroy the church, God will destroy you. Pay attention to the severity in this verse. God doesn't say that he's going to chastise you or rebuke you. God isn't going to discipline you if you destroy the church. God is going to destroy you. So there are two truths in this this passage. Number one, that the church is always under the threat of attack or is currently under attack. And number two, that God cares a lot about the church, so much so that he would destroy those who would seek to harm his church. So if God is serious about the welfare of the church, capital C, and also little c, Indelible Grace Church, then we need to be as well. And if there is a threat to the church, we need to protect her. So today's message is primarily for members of Indelible Grace Church. You'll notice that we have one of the questions that we ask when you became a member of the church. This is the vow that we all took when we became members. This is the promise that we made. So this is who this message is primarily for, but if you belong to another church, if you haven't committed to a church yet, uh, this is also for you. I hope that you'll take to heart what is being said. If you're not a member yet, I hope that this will be helpful to you as you consider being, becoming a part of this church. And for those of us who aren't able to connect to what's being said right now, for those of us who haven't followed Jesus yet, I want us to also look at what's being said here today. And as we look at it, that you'll get a sense of what the church is supposed to be like, that you'll get a sense of the beauty of the church, that God gave us instructions for how the church should be, and I want us to see his design, and I want us to marvel at his design, because it's not how we would design things, probably. And yet, God loves his beautiful church. He's given us instructions on how to care for her. So... Now let's look in your bulletin. We have the fourth membership vow. And this is the question, if you became a member of IGC uh, ever, this is the question that we asked you. Do you promise to support Indelible Grace Church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And if you answered yes, this is the promise that you made. This means that we give our resources, our time, and our finances, and our energy For the sake of the mission of the church, we're to serve in the ministries of the church, we're to take part in the activities, we're to invest in the lives of those in the church. We pray for the church, we correct and challenge each other in the church. When you made a promise, when you made this particular promise, this is what you said, that you're going to support what we are doing here. And to kind of tweak it to go along with what we're talking about today one of the ways we support indelible grace church in its work and worship is by protecting her so let me rephrase the question just slightly i'll ask it again but with one just with just one different word do you promise to protect indelible grace church in its worship and work to the best of your ability now if you can answer yes then i want us to Think about what that looks like practically. There are a number of ways, and we'll talk about two ways in which we do that, two ways in which we protect Indelible Grace Church. The first is by protecting our own faith, and then protecting the faith of others. And I'll kind of pull our 2.5 point uh, into uh, this protecting each other aspect, but I'll, I'll get to that later. So the first thing is we have to protect our own faith. We have this passage from Luke 22. This is Jesus speaking to Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So this is Jesus speaking to Simon Peter the night before his crucifixion. And this is right before Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times. Now, consider... Simon Peter, as he's hearing these words from Jesus, at this point, he's been following Jesus for more than three years. He's seen the miracles of Jesus. He's heard the words of Jesus. He has walked probably hundreds of miles with him. They have spent countless nights together along with the other disciples. And he hears these words from Jesus. And to him, it's, it's unthinkable, unthinkable that he would ever deny Christ. Because he was a devoted follower. And yet Jesus knows he could and Jesus knows he will deny him three times. When we look at the original Greek in this passage, we see that the U in this passage is plural, meaning that it's not directed just to Simon Peter, but it's directed to all the disciples. It's not just that Satan wants Simon Peter, it's that Satan wants all the disciples which means that he wants all of us. Do you know that Satan, just as he's been prowling about, that he wants you so that you would be destroyed? This is the reality. Satan is chasing after us. And he wants our faith to fail. And we might be like Simon Peter. We might think, I go to church every Sunday, and I read the Bible, and I listen to k facts or to Caleb. I read Christian books. There is no way I will ever fail Christ. I'm going to remain committed for the rest of my life. But we're warned in First Corinthians 10, it says this, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. The threat of falling away is very real for every single one of us, even to people like Simon Peter, who never thought that he could turn his back on Christ. And he did that not once, not two times, but three times. So we're given this imagery of wheat being sifted in this passage. To sift, if you've ever looked at uh, what farmers do, one of the primitive ways that they sift wheat is they remove the chaff by putting wheat into a sieve, and farmers, they would, they would shake this back and forth until the chaff of the wheat fell off. So the chaff falls out of the sieve, and the wheat stays in. And this is the imagery that's given to us in this passage. And Jesus says, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, and th- which means that Satan wants to shake us completely through the sieve, back and forth, back and forth, until not just the chaff, but the wheat ourselves fall through the sieve, through the holes, so that there's nothing left of us. This is the failure of faith. Now notice how Jesus words the the action here. Satan demanded, meaning that Satan first needs to get permission from God, which means that Satan doesn't cause all the trouble in our lives, but it does mean that he can influence how we respond to the trouble. Trouble itself can be an amazing gift. Do you remember one of the the promise that Jesus gives in John 16. In this world, you will have tribulation. It's a promise that we're all going to go through trouble. This is not just the work of Satan. Sometimes trouble and pain is a gift to us. But how we respond, Satan says, let me see what I can do with their response. Let me see what I can do with their attitude. Satan influences us by way of lies and distractions. So what are some of the things that can cause our faith to fail? The Bible is very clear about some of these things. If you chase after riches, this is the perfect opportunity for Satan to cause you to fail. If we forget the gospel, if we are suffering with the wrong attitude, if we are bitter and angry, if we're isolated, if we feel condemned. These are the things that Satan uses to destroy us. So we have to protect our own faith by being vigilant and fighting for what's true. So if Satan were to use greed, what are you going to do with that greed in your hearts? You have to be content with what you have. Do you remember that verse that says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Be generous and give sacrificially. Invest in people and worthy causes rather than putting your hope in stocks and crypto and real estate. How do you respond when suffering and troubles come? How do you respond to that? This is one of the main things that Satan uses to cause our faith to fail. We respond by preaching to ourselves, by reminding ourselves of God's promises we instead of running away and cursing God we turn to him we press further into Jesus Jesus who is the man of sorrows who identifies with us fully and completely who suffers along with us and we endure with hope knowing that his grace is sufficient for us what about when we feel guilt Jesus or Satan uses guilt to cause our faith to fail Instead of feeling condemnation and guilt, we look to Jesus. We believe the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Him. What about all the secrets that are in our lives? What about the angerness and the bitter and the, the discouragement? What do we do? We have to find people that we can trust, people that we can let into our lives, who can lovingly challenge us. We expose ourselves to others and we confess So we become a part of a community. This is what we need to do to counteract the isolation and the secrets in our lives. We can read the Psalms, which help us express our emotions, and then we look to God for healing. These are some of the ways in which Satan is going to try to attack you. You need to protect yourself by responding biblically to what he's doing in your life. Now, we know from the story that Simon Peter, he goes on to deny Jesus three times after his exchange, and the good news is that that's not the end of the story. We also know that after he denied Christ three times, he was restored fully, and he spent the rest of his life serving Christ. He was actually crucified upside down. This is what the uh, tradition tells us. It's not in the Bible, but tr- from tradition, we we hear that... Uh, Peter was crucified upside down. He spent his whole life serving Christ. And this has got to be such an encouragement to us. Because Jesus prayed that his faith would not fail. Jesus doesn't say that you would fail and that would be the end of it. Jesus says he recognizes that we will fail, but he we will be restored as well. Because how many times have you promised God that you would do something? Or you, how many times have you promised that you would not do something And what happened? You broke that promise. You forgot that promise. You failed. But we need to know that Jesus has prayed for us. If we we belong to Jesus, Jesus has prayed for us. Every effort that we make here on our part to protect ourselves is backed up by the guarantee of Jesus' promise, of Jesus' prayer. So we can own our failures knowing that our failures don't have to be final. So protect your own faith. Jesus gives us the strength to to be faithful once again. And then look at the verse again. Look at verse 32. Jesus says, And when you have turned again, Jesus is acknowledging this failure, but his subsequent return and repentance with his phrase, turned again. What comes after? Jesus says, After all this has happened, Don't keep it to yourself, he says. Strengthen your brothers. When we experience the work of Jesus in our lives, we protect ourselves, our own faith, and then we go protect others. We strengthen our brothers, as Jesus puts it. So this brings us to the second way that we protect each other in the church. Now I have Hebrews 10 in your bulletin, and let me read this for you. Let us consider how to stir up one another and to love let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, in order to protect the church, we need to know the church. And to know the church, you need to be at the church. The writer of Hebrews here, he's, he's speaking to this early church where some people, they made it a habit to skip out on the regular gatherings of this baby church. And the hearers, the audience of Hebrews, they were facing persecution on a regular basis. If you identified yourself as a Christian, you are exposing yourself to losing your job, losing your livelihood, being harmed, or perhaps even killed. This was a regular thing for the Christians in the early church. And to go to church was to expose yourself to further danger, And still the author of Hebrews, he says, despite all these things, keep going. Keep being a part of your church. Keep going because why? You need each other to stir each other up, to encourage each other, to support each other. And this is the same for us, that we need each other. So I know it's difficult for some of us to make it to church every week. I know that some of you guys have to move 20 different things to be here on Sundays. And I so appreciate that. I, I so appreciate those of us who, who come faithfully. And I know it's hard, especially for those who might have children or jobs that take away from time on Sundays or other commitments. And this is something that I get. We, we, all, we all get that it's difficult to be a part of our gathering sometimes. But I also know that sometimes we just don't feel like coming, because I said last week, um, on a regular basis, I don't feel like coming to church. It's like Marshawn Lynch, I'm just here so I don't get fined. That's sometimes my, uh, that's not what I think, but someone might think that. But this is a reality. Sometimes we just don't feel like coming to church. We don't click with other people. We're not inspired by the preaching. The facilities aren't the best. It's really hot in here. I'm sweating underneath this. There are more exciting things to do on Sunday. And this I get as well because I feel it. you probably have felt it at one time or another. But what if I told you that you don't come to church for yourself? What if that's what I told you? You come because other people need you here. You come because other people need to hear your singing. They need to hear you speaking words of encouragement. Other people need to see you listening to the sermon being preached. Other people need your weak faith because their faith is even weaker. And you need them as well. You need them to encourage you and challenge you to make you uncomfortable. And I listed all these different reasons why we might not want to come on Sundays or to our community group during the week or to whatever other gathering there is. We all have dozens of reasons. But, but I have with me the church member list. And on this list are 157 people, 128 members and 29 communicant children. You might have dozens of reasons not to come to church, but I can give you 157 people. 157 reasons to come. I could name the names, or you could just look around you. The reason why you need to be at church on Sundays is because of the people next to you. Not because you want to be comfortable or inspired, but because we need each other. These are the reasons why we need to come this is the reason why I need to be here. So we need to be a regular part of the community for their sake and also for our sake. And this is how we protect the church, by knowing the church. And as we deliberately invest in the life of this community, we get to know the stories of each other. We learn how to care for each other. We learn how to, how to love each other. And in time, this might take months, most likely it's going to take years, But in time, we'll understand why the writer of Hebrews wrote Hebrews chapter 10. Do not forsake the assembling of the saints. And this is the posture that we all need to take at IGC. And if this is our posture, this is amazing things will happen. Do you remember the passage from last week? Jesus says that those, when the soil fell in good, when the words fell in good soil, it yielded 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Can you imagine that in time, everything that we see here at, at indelible Grace Church will multiply by 30 times, or a hundred times? Jesus says, "That can happen." So what are some of the ways that we can protect the church? I'm going to give us some practical ways. Number one, we protect the doctrine of the church. Now, we are in a denomination that kind of prides itself on theological correctness, but it doesn't matter what church you're part of, it doesn't matter what denomination, false doctrine can creep in. In, Berean, in. in Acts chapter 17, we're given the example of the Bereans. They heard the word from the apostles, and then what did they do? The scriptures tell us in Acts 17, daily, they searched the scripture to make sure that what was being taught was aligned with what God's word was being taught, to make sure that what's being said is true. So you protect the church by protecting the doctrine of the church, which means that we ourselves need to know the truth. I hope that you guys are reading your Bible during the week. I hope that you guys are finding resources to equip yourself. And I hope that if I or Pastor Michael or someone else were to speak something that is questionable, I hope that you'll approach us and say, Hey, I'm not sure where you found that. Can you show me? Because we need correction as well. If we speak untruth, we protect the doctrine of the church when we see someone believing something contrary to scripture. And this is something that is such a danger to us because there's such bad teaching out there, but we don't know it's bad because there's a lot of truth mixed in with it. I'm on YouTube. I watch things from other churches. I listen to sermons from other churches. I listen to music from certain organizations and you have to be careful because there's such untruth in these piles of truth. So we need to protect the church by protecting the doctrine of the church. When we see someone believing something contrary to scripture, we need to challenge them lovingly, which means that we need to know God's word first. Another way that we can protect the church is by protecting or guarding the mission of the church. So what is the vision of IGC? We want to... Follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus. And this means in order for us to make disciples, we need to be really intentional about our time with each other. We need to be intentional about our relationships. Which means that we need to be inquisitive and ask questions of other people That's we may not feel so comfortable asking, hey, what's going on in this area of your life? And we, they might say, I don't want you to touch that area of my life. Which means that you need to touch that area of their life. <laughs> We need to also intrude into, allow others to intrude into our private lives. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus that helps others follow Jesus, you need to expose yourself. We need to guard the time in our gatherings. So when we come together on Sundays, it can't just be social. There is a social aspect to everything that we do, and I hope that we continue to do that because we are social creatures and we have a social outlet. But... We don't come together just for for social needs. We need to pray for each other. We need to be vulnerable with each other. We need to use the time that we have Sunday mornings or community group meetings or whatever else. We need to use this time to point others to Jesus. And finally, we guard the mission of the church by being a part of the church. So in addition to coming on Sundays, being a part of community groups, if you can be a part of a community group, it means taking part in the women's ministry and the men's ministry and in the mercy ministry and all these other things that we have. It doesn't mean that you have to take part in everything. There's no way we can do that. But find a place where you can invest, and it doesn't mean that the place is at what you want it to be. But Find a place where you can follow, where you, where you can carry out the mission of the church. So we have to take part in the life of the church. This is how we protect the mission of the church, by being really focused and intentional about how we use our time. And finally, we protect our unity. Consider this image of a web, and we're all part of this web. And if someone were to be removed from this web, the integrity of this structure weakens. It means that we have to make other people a part of our life. When we think of unity, sometimes we just think in terms of no conflict. But it doesn't mean that. It means that we pull on each other. It means that we make other people a part of our life. Uh, a few months ago, David gave all the elders a book by Rosaria Butterfield called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And the premise of the book is that we are all called as believers to be hospitable. We're all called to invite other people into our lives. So we may not have a house that we can invite people into all the time. We may not have the Energy to gather other people, but we have to find people that we can be really intentional with. We have to make them a part of our lives, regardless of whether or not it's convenient for us. It means that we have to accommodate, we have to make room for others, which might mean that we have to cut certain parts of our life out so that we can pull other people into our lives. And in this way, this web that comprises the church is strengthened. And complete. We protect our unity by speaking the truth and challenging each other. David is going to speak from Ephesians four in uh, toward the end of the summer. Uh, he's going to spend an entire sermon, so I won't uh, say everything. But we need to speak the truth and challenge each other because what brings us together is not ultimately our shared interests; it's the gospel. And we need to challenge each other with the gospel. Let that be the thing that unites us. And finally, we protect the unity of the church when there is conflict. So if there's conflict in the church, we need to seek unity even in disagreements, which means that when we are in conflict, we honor the other person. We respect the other person. We try to understand them. We don't destroy the other person. We don't try to tell them, I told you so. But we say, let's come to some common ground. It may not mean that we can solve everything right away, but we have to protect the unity of the church by honoring and respecting each other when there is disagreements. So these are the ways in which we protect the church. And finally, we protect, protect the church by caring for each other. And right now, I'm going to focus on caring for the leaders of the church, by protecting the ministry of the leaders of the church. Look, at Acts chapter 6. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. when I read this passage i 'm sometimes a little bit uncomfortable because, as a leader of the church as someone who has a little bit more visibility, it seems kind of self serving to say, "I want you to do this." Uh, I mentioned last week that I was a part of a church in Southern California, and I was part of that church for three years and I was part of the setup team, which meant that every morning at 8 a.m., uh, I'd go with someone to the storage units, and then we would drive to the church, and we'd set up for an hour and a half. Um, it, was, it was a big production. and um, I remember one time I was, I was carrying— have you guys ever seen those truss rods that are— they, they, you can put like heavy things on them. It's maybe like 60, 70 pounds. Uh, and I was carrying this thing, and I was sweating, and I was setting it up, and the pastor of the church was just standing there talking to someone. And I remember feeling so annoyed because I could have used the help. But he didn't help. He was just talking to someone. But now I understand why. Because he was doing something that was his calling, was his task on that particular Sunday. And by serving in this way, I was allowing him to do what he needed to do. Now, when I talk about serving or protecting the leaders of the church, I know this sounds really self-serving. Um, and I promise you this is not my intent. It really makes me uncomfortable to talk about this. Uh, I don't want to talk about this because I don't want to seem like I'm complaining, but I'm speaking with the authority of Scripture right now, so I, that's what I'm going to go on. <laughs> if, if anything, as I share this, it's, I want you to know I'm sharing this because I'm not as talented or capable as I wish I was, as I could be. I wish I could carry the weight of every ministry on my shoulders, but I can't. So this passage from Acts, it gives us the account of the ministry of the apostles in the early church. And as the church grew, they realized they couldn't do everything. So they asked those in the church, it says here in this passage, they, asked, they called together all the disciples, and they asked them to identify specific people that could carry out the task for caring for the widows in the church. It's not because these leaders were not willing or able I'm sure they would have loved to continue to do that, but it's be, it was because it was their primary responsibility in that context to preach and to pray. And in order for them to do what they were, in order for them to be able to do what they had to do, they needed others in the church to step up and to carry the tasks. A few weeks ago, I was at the gym and I was doing bench presses with my ten-pound weights, and I saw uh, there was there was. A guy next to me, and you've seen these guys before, they're really, like, like, I don't know what they do besides go to the gym, because they've got these perfect V-shaped torsos, and they're bulging muscles, and they wear those, like, slinky shirts that aren't really shirts, and I don't know why they wear them, but it's, so people like me can can go, wow, that's, you, you spend a lot of time in the gym. So here's this guy, he, uh, he lays down, and he has, I don't know how, how many pounds he had on his, on his barbell. Um, He he sets himself up, and I notice he has a friend with his phone pointing at him. And I know he's doing it for Instagram, so people can be (laughs) impressed by what he's doing. And um, the guy says, are you ready? He says, I'm ready. Uh, He brings the bar down, and he brings it to his chest, and then he pushes it up by a couple inches, and then it falls on his... On his, on his chest and on his neck, and some guys run immediately to help him out. Uh, if they didn't, he would have died, and I was like, I've heard about this happening, and now I'm so excited I get to actually see it. <laughs> and so like the guy with the, uh, with, with, the, with the phone goes, should I stop recording now? <laughs> <laughs> now, th- he was, and then he made excuses, like, I can do this, I can do this. Uh, I just, like, I'm not feeling it today, but I know that I can do this. And I, I, I as I was thinking about this, I was reflecting and and I think that God was saying something to me. God is saying something to maybe perhaps to us that we often look to people in the church to carry the weight of everything. And we think that maybe it's They're capable, and I'm going to let them do it, and it seems like they've done it before, and I can just watch them and observe them and be impressed by all that they can do. But this is not why the church exists. The church doesn't exist so that you could put your focus on me or on Pastor Michael or anyone else. The church exists for the mission of Jesus, which means that the mission of Jesus is spread out among all the people. So the leaders can't carry the heavy weight of ministry while everyone else just watches them. We need to realize that the leaders can't do everything. Uh, I'm going to... This is. I I went back and forth all week debating whether or not I should tell the story, but I'm going to tell the story in hopes that it will give us uh, some concrete examples on how we can serve the leaders of the church, not just me, but everyone who serves in any position in this church. So here's the example Uh, from one of the bad Sundays a few years ago. So I I arrived early to church on Sunday to help set up, and um, there were a few other people there, and I was doing something, and I had a disagreement on with someone about how to do it, and we started getting frustrated at each other, and we started yelling at each other in front of other people. This was during setup, and then an hour later, I preached. Do you think that the church was served as well as it could have been that Sunday? I wasn't able to focus. I had this awful attitude. I had so many things on my mind, and I got frustrated, and I started yelling at someone in the church. Now, do you think that this served the church well when there are people who are doing a million things when they can't? Or to ask a broader question for all of us, Does it do any good for IGC to have leaders who think that they can do everything? I'm so thankful that there are people in this church who have sacrificed to be a part of their ministry. For example, uh, one of the things I'm super thankful for now is we have a teardown team, and um, this is one of the super practical ways that has done so much for me and for some of the other leaders after service. But um, Tay leads the the teardown team, and um, it's, it seems like such a small thing, but I can't tell you how much of a mental burden it takes off of me on Sunday mornings to know that someone's taking ownership of this aspect. Because in the past, I would, if I saw something needed to be done, I would just, I'd go under the uh, the, the stage and I'd pull out the racks and I'd, whatever I could do, and um, I'm not really able to talk to people. Uh, I'm not really, really able to welcome newcomers on those Sundays. And in the past, when I did do that, I would feel guilty that, There's stuff that needs to be done. But now I don't have to worry about that because someone has taken ownership of that aspect. I'm not the only one. There are so many other people that this has been a relief for them as well. So this is... An example of my own time being protected, so that I can do what I've been tasked to do on Sunday mornings. This is an example of the principle of godly delegation that we see in Acts six. It's not just for me, but for Pastor Michael and the elders, and for all the leaders of the church. We have, uh, I have a list of things that people have done. Uh, That's, I can't. It's countless people that sacrificed so much. I'm not going to, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through all of them. But for the sake of time. Uh, I want to tell you that a lot of people sacrifice a lot. People miss multiple Sunday services because they're out serving in some other area. There are people that come as soon as they arrive on Sunday mornings. They're working nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. They're not able to enjoy the fellowship. They're not able to enjoy the service. They're not able to be fed like some of us are. I'm so thankful for these people because I've never heard anyone complain. Uh... But do you think that you could serve the church well by finding ways to serve these people? Ask yourself, how can I protect the church by protecting the ministry of our leaders? Ask yourself, what can I do to, to ensure the elders and the community group leaders and the ministry heads, mercy ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, the children's ministry, the nursery, AV setup, a missions committee, all these ministries. What can I do to make sure that all of these people are able to minister in the way that they've been called so, and also so that they can actually take part in church life rather than be stressed about all that they have on their plates. Ask yourself, what areas of ministry can I serve in? A healthy church is one where every member of the church is contributing to the mission of the church. We're all using our gifts for the sake of what Jesus has called us to So this is how we protect the church, by protecting ourselves, by protecting each other, and by protecting those who lead ministries. And this is a lot. How do we do this? It takes supernatural strength. Where do we get it? We get it from Jesus who protects his church. I have in your bulletin the final passage, Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The basis of our love and protection for others, especially for the church, is Christ's love and protection of his bride, which is us, the church. This is the gospel. The gospel message says that we accepted the lie from Satan that we could live better, we could be better off without God, and we tried to live according to our own rules, and the consequences of that attempt at independence is death. We were in mortal danger of hell and the wrath of God, but God loved us his church too much to let us suffer the consequences. That means that he gave us Jesus, who lived the perfect life, the God-dependent, God-honoring life, so that we could live. And Jesus exposed himself to the horrors of hell. Jesus exposed himself to the wrath of God, which fell fully on him. And this is how Jesus protected the church, by giving himself fully to her To the point of death, we're going to sing in just a few moments these words. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. My call, my challenge to you is this, to love the church because Christ loved the church. Love the imperfect, indelible grace church that you attend because Christ loved us, even in our imperfections. And he gives us the power to do so by the gospel. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that we would have this heart, that we would love the church, that we would protect each other. I pray that your work would grow forth into a mighty tree for the sake of your glory, God. And I pray that you would give us this proper attitude, this proper posture of loving the gospel and in so that we would love the church and that we would protect her, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.